ladies, and welcome to the Amazing Bible Book Club. I'm Julie Callio, your host, and thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. Today we are ending Book 3 of the Psalms. According to W. Robert Godfrey's book, Learning to Love the Psalms, he titles Book 3 as The King's Crisis Over God's Promises. And almost every psalm in Book 3 has some sort of crisis of faith. The only one who does not is Psalm 84, a psalm of the sons of Korah. So the book ends with one of the darkest and bleakest psalms in the Psalter, Psalm 88. One of the reasons that it seems so dark is that there is no real ray of sunshine. It doesn't end on an uplifting hope. As my ESV study Bible says, there is no explicit statement of confidence. There is an implicit confidence, however. In verses 6 and 14, the song confesses that it is God who brought these troubles, implying that relief is also in God's hands. Before we look at the actual words of the song, I want us to notice the description of the song. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, two or four, the choir director, according to Mahalath Leonis, a mascal of Heman, the Ezraite. So, just some things to think about. Remember, the Hebrew preposition could mean of or by or for, etc. We know who the sons of Korah are and about his dad's sin. One thing I didn't point out yesterday was the verse in Numbers chapter 26 verse 11. And it says, The line of Korah, however, did not die out. And I find myself so thankful that they did not. Because again, I see God's grace in that. Plus, we would not have some really good psalms if they did. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 19, we see some Levites from the Kohathites. They stood and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So we see these guys sprinkled throughout the history of Israel. Heman the Ezraite is also mentioned. Because of the preposition, it really is unclear if Heman wrote the song and then gave it to the sons of Korah to sing it, or vice versa. Let me also point out that Psalm 89 is written by Ethan the Ezraite. Now the Old Testament tells us a little bit about these men. We see these two in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 31. It says, He, meaning King Solomon, was wiser than all men, including Ethan the Ezraite, and Heman, and Talcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol. And his, King Solomon's, fame spread to all of the surrounding nations. So from this, we discover that Ethan the Ezraite was a pretty wise dude, and Heman was up there too. We then see that both of these men were set over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark was at rest in the tabernacle and then in the temple. This is found in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verses 31 and 32. Then verse 33 says, and these are they that waited with their children of the sons of the Kohathites. 
Heman, a singer, the son of Joel, the son of Shemuel. And then other men are mentioned. And then we see the sons of Korah mentioned in verse 37. Asaph is mentioned in verse 39. And then other men are mentioned. And then in verse 44 it says, And their brothers, the sons of Merari, stood on the left hand. Ethan, the son of Kishi. All of these men were of the tribe of Levi. Lastly, we see in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, when David brings the ark of God into the tent he built for it, King David spoke to the chief of the Levites and appointed singers with instruments of music, psalteries and harp and cymbals, sounding by lifting up the voice of joy. So the Levites appointed Heman, the son of Joel, and his brothers, Asaph, the son of Barakai, and the sons of Merari, their brethren, Ethan, the son of Cushai, and then a few other men are mentioned, and then verse 19 of 1 Chronicles 15 says, So the singers, Heman, Asaph, and Ethan, were appointed to sound with cymbals of brass. So in other words, these men were Levites within the temple and within the music section of the temple. In my King James Hebrew and Greek study Bible, it says a song or a psalm for the sons of Korah to the chief musicians upon Mehalath Lenoth, which is possibly a musical instrument, a miskal, possibly a type or a style of song, of Heman the Ezraite, meaning that he wrote it. So that's how they define these words. Now that we have covered the intro of these two psalms, let's take a closer look. Psalm 88 begins with, O Lord, the God of my salvation. What we see here is that even in the darkest hour, the psalmist is praying to God. He understands that God is the source of his salvation. Also in verse 1, we see he cried out by day and in the night before God. In verse 9, we see he called upon the Lord every day, and he even spread out his hands before the Lord. Then in verse 13, we see that the psalmist cried out for help, and in the morning his prayer comes before God. Keep in mind that the psalmist is praying, but in this psalm we do not find relief. In his prayer and his song we see, he's had enough troubles, he's close to death, no strength, forsaken, rejection, affliction, in his lowest point, in dark places, in the depths, terror, God's wrath, his anger, his affliction, Removal of acquaintances, friends, and lover. Became an object of loathing. He was shut up inside. Abandonment and defeated. Psalm 88 ends with darkness as his only companion. Psalm 88 validates what some theologians call the dark night of the soul. I think it's safe to say most people have experienced this deep lament, and this psalm can help us through it. One thing I have, or maybe should say I am learning to do, is to lean into it instead of running away from it. 
In my Sunday school class just last Sunday, one of the classmates asked the question, Why did Jesus have to be betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples? Why couldn't it just be the Pharisees? I shared my opinion in our class discussion that after reading through the Psalms, I wonder if it was a fulfillment of the Psalms like this one. King David was betrayed by many close friends and even his sons, especially Absalom. As David, the prophet, wrote of his experiences, Jesus fulfilled all of the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. Luke twenty four forty four. Jesus suffered and was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And because of that, the writer of the New Testament book of Hebrews says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. This leads us then into Psalm 89. Verse 1 says, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. Loving kindness, his hesed, is love wrapped in mercy and grace. That is what we need in the midst of our dark nights of the soul. Now, Psalm 88 is much more a personal lament, but Psalm 89 is a community or a corporate lament. And in this, we see once again the importance of the king. In the first strophe, verses 1 through 4, loving kindness, hesed, is mentioned twice. The psalmist again shows the importance of telling the next generation of the faithfulness of the Lord. Then we see the promise, the covenant with King David and his seed, singular, and that his throne will be forever to all generations. In these four verses, we see loving kindness two times, forever three times, generation two times, and faithfulness two times. Now in the first strophe, we see in the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness verse 2. And then in the second strophe, it starts, the heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord. Then again, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. These are verses 5 through 10. Then there is praise of God's creation and how there is no God like the mighty Lord. Strophe 3, verses 11 through 18 Start again with the heavens are yours and the earth is yours, the world and all it contains. We had an opportunity to meet with friends from our previous church who were visiting from Texas. And the wife shared that after they moved, they were checking out different churches and they went to one where the church refused to teach or preach from the first book of the Bible, Genesis, And from the last book of the Bible, Revelation, I was floored. What good news is there to teach if God is not the creator of the world and of all humanity, and if there is no victorious ending, and Jesus is the triumphant Lord? Then we are fools who would call ourselves Christians if there is no justice at the end of the book. This church is shooting themselves in the foot if they are not willing to acknowledge God as their creator. 
The one plus for them is that the creation story is throughout the Old Testament and especially the Psalms because that shows us his power, his might, his wisdom, and it gives us purpose. And the psalmist knew that. In verse 14, we see righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. Loving kindness and truth go before you. Hesed, loving kindness and truth. It is because of God's loving kindness, his everlasting love wrapped in mercy and grace, that we can face the truth, even if it's darkness, like in Psalm 88. In that third strophe, we also see that the righteous are blessed. And the last line says, For our shield belongs to the Lord and our king to the Holy One of Israel. The fourth strophe includes verses 19 through 29. And this section shows the calling, the choosing, the anointing, the blessing, and the covenant of King David and his descendants forever. In verse 28, we again see the loving kindness, the hased with the king. In strophe 5, verses 30 through 37, we see an if. If David's descendants turn, God says he will punish, but I will not break off my loving kindness, my hased from him. In strophe 6, verses 38 through 45, now instead of if, it is now, but you have. The psalmist is crying out to God, but you have cast off and rejected. In other words, the psalmist does not see the Lord's hesed, his loving kindness. Strophe 7, verses 46 through 48, the psalmist cries out, how long, O Lord? Then in strophe 8, verses 49 through 51, the psalmist continues his cry. Where are your former loving kindnesses, O Lord? Where is your hased, which you swore to David in your faithfulness? Remember, O Lord, the reproach of your servants. The psalmist used the word reproach four times in the last four lines of strophe eight. Then the psalmist ends with blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Remember each of the five books of the Psalms ends with praise. Even though the psalmist is still in reproach, even though he does not see the Lord's loving kindness, his everlasting love that's full of mercy and grace. He still blesses the Lord and says, so be it, so be it. Amen and amen. In W. Robert Godfrey's book, Learning to Love the Psalms, he ends this chapter by saying, the third book of the Psalter ends with praise, but it also ends with very distressed and, for Israel in the Old Testament, unanswered questions. Book four will make clear how the Psalter begins to answer those questions that arise from the loss of king and temple. And that's found in page 155 of his book. As Dr. Westerholm said in worship class, if the story ended here, 
it would be a tragedy. But it doesn't end here. Hallelujah. We know because of the New Testament that the Lord was faithful in his covenant, in his loving kindness, his hesed, which is full of mercy and grace. And it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the son of David. And through Jesus Christ, the son of man and the son of God, the promise is everlasting. Where fully human kings could not fulfill, the heavenly king could fulfill. So ladies, wherever you are at in life, cry out to God. He is faithful. His loving kindness, his hesed is true, even if we don't see it at the moment. So if you hear his voice today, don't harden your hearts. Instead, let's be women who pray morning, noon, and night. And let's obey the same way. Until next time, and thank you so much for listening. Bye.